The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. That's Friday, folks. Who's ready for game time? But before we get to World Series baseball, lots of policy and politics to get through. National deficit, a trillion dollars. We're going to crunch the numbers on that. Ben Baines here, Bloomberg political financial regulatory reporter. Meanwhile, S&P 500 closes near a record high. Who cares about the deficit, I guess? And the latest on the impeachment inquiry, another hearing for tomorrow. This, as reports surface at the Department of Justice, is actually going to be looking into the cause of the 2016 investigation. Uh-oh. Buckle up, folks. It's going to be a busy Friday. Uh, All-stars to help us get here, Ben Bain, Ryan C. Beckwith of Bloomberg, and McClatchy News' very own Francesca Chambers making her McClatchy debut on Sound On. Of course, she's been on before. Before we get to that, Ben Bain, did you see this headline? I know you did. You were crunching the numbers on it all day. The U.S. annual budget deficit nears $1 trillion. Yeah, that's With a, 26% rise. It's a hard number to miss. And, and you know, t- speaking about Ryan's article, uh, it's also being forecast to, to cross that, I guess, bigger, bigger, bigger $1 trillion number, uh, sometime uh, next year, right before that presidential election. And Elizabeth Warren has a lot of things that she wants to do, a lot of programs she wants to put in place, a lot of questions about how she's going to gonna pay for that all. And, uh, and it's becoming a political issue, too, certainly for the Republicans, because that uh, tax package is going to cost uh, $1.5 trillion over the next decade, according you know, to forecasts. It's like, where are the deficit hawks, everybody? I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. old enough to remember back when Republicans would, would hammer Democrats, Francesca Chambers, over the notion of too much government spending. The U.S. budget deficit widened to almost $1 trillion in the latest fiscal year, surging to the highest level since 2012 as President Donald Trump cut taxes and boosted spending. This, of course, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, Katia Dmitrieva's reporting. The federal government's gap, get this, increased 26% to $984 billion in the 12 months through September. I mean, Francesca, this comes as the president had campaigned on the notion of of reining in government spending. Now, he has said, the White House has said that uh, economic growth is going to help offset some of this. He's also made the case that the tariffs that he's put in place are a source of revenue for the government. But I mean, politically speaking, 
This won't play well, will it? Well, you asked where the deficit hawks are, and one of them is in the White House, and that's Mick Mulvaney. I mean, <laughs> right. that's, that's a good been point. a constant question. And he and he says, well, you know, it was one thing when you're in Congress to, to run on this, but here's the actuality of the situation. And the actuality of the situation is that Donald Trump has boosted military spending, as he likes to say, but that comes at a pretty hefty price. Even if you're cutting social programs uh, and domestic programs, or at least saying that you, you want to do that, because Congress actually gets to make make those decisions, not the president of the United States, uh, the military spending is a large portion of of the budget deficit. And uh, but when it comes down to it, we we're talking about the president when he ran on it. The president gets to send Congress a budget, right. but Congress gets to decide and they're not going to make the kind of cuts that Donald Trump has asked them to make. You know, right. I mean, to Francesca and Ben's points, I mean, this is look, I know I'm going to I don't want people if you're driving in your cars you know, hold on. I don't want to. I don't want to cause any accidents. But like, <laughs> I, I think the the ultimate reality is, with the exception of a couple of active, politically active groups that really do care about budget deficits, most voters aren't really. You know, maybe in the conservative party in a primary, but most voters right now aren't focused on the deficit. I think that voters talk about the deficit and the debt, but they use it as a proxy. Oh, um, if you if you are talking about the, the debt or the deficit uh, as a voter, it's probably because you're conservative and Democrats have proposed a spending program that you don't like. Um, it's equally that you could, you could cut the, the you, you don't have to just cut spending. You could also raise taxes. You could grow the economy. There's lots of different ways to fight this. We tend to talk about uh, deficit hawks as being people who just want to cut spending, but that's just because it's used as a proxy for that. And that's why when a Republican is in power, that doesn't really, it just doesn't come up. And, and no one is really other than some of these sort of think tank uh, people and, and, you know, Pete Peterson Foundation types. No one is actually sort of actively running on actually reining this in. You know, it's a great point. You know who else isn't really blinking? Wall Street. The S&P 500 <laughs> index briefly surpassed its closing record amid positive signs on trade talks as investors assessed corporate earnings and they're again, they're moving more on the U.S.-China trade talks and the talks with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer with Chinese Vice Premier Liu Hua. Uh, they talked on the phone. So that phone call on the trade talks matters a bit more than the budget deficit. Panel stays coming up. We pivot to 2020 policy. Ryan Teague back with Francesca Chambers, Ben Bain. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, rooting for the Nats all weekend long. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Almost game time, folks. Ryan Teague Beckwith is here, Bloomberg's very own, as is Bloomberg's very own Ben Bain. And McClatchy's Francesca Chambers. Where I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Where can I get a baby shark hat? I think I need one for this weekend. Where are they selling them? Do either of you know? If you have children, you don't want anything to do with Baby Shark you any know, more I, than you already have. Really? See, I don't I don't have kids, so I don't know, but apparently it's a song. It's. I mean, it's always been a song. It just became a thing earlier this year. And then and the Nats go out to it, so then they're, yes. they're all getting these hats. But where do you get the hat? Anywhere? Or the, I mean, I, I guess I don't have... 
I guess I'm not technically the demographic for the for the baby shark. I'm sure if you just went and wandered around the street, somebody would sell you one from the back of a baby. Then you kids, baby I do. shark. Oh yeah, too much baby shark. It's Is been. It a uh, thing? It's like the let it go of 2019. Really? Oh, that's yeah. awful. Like the first couple times, you're like, oh, this is catchy. And then you're like, I will murder the person who wrote this song. You know, in, in okay, ends. well, no threats on air. No, no, no. I didn't. <laughs> I don't think the person who wrote this song is around anymore. So did you see this? <laughs> did you see this? That Jose Andres is going to be throwing the ceremonial first pitch on Sunday's game. And President Trump's going to be there, Ben. Yeah, so, I mean, I think all the Nats fans are hoping it doesn't get to that point because that would be game five. That means the Nats lose before then. However, if it does get there, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting. President of the United States is going to show up, but one of his really loudest critics here in the Beltway is going to be tossing out the first pitch. And a person with whom he had a, a falling out at the Trump they Hotel. They used to be tight. Yep. They, he was, Jose Andres was going to have a, a restaurant in the Trump Hotel, and then... When the election came, they had, he pulled out of that. They sued each other. It was ugly. It's and, been a, it's been a yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and, uh, Jose Andres is is uh, you know a naturalized uh, citizen. A lot of the you know the the kind of the fighting here is has really come down to the Trump administration's immigration policies. I mean that's kind of been been the main uh, you know fault line. Politics can't even escape it with a baseball game. Or if you're an NBA fan, we've been following that saga. Speaking of the Trump Hotel, Francesca Chambers, did you follow this? That the Trump Organization is exploring the sale of its Washington Hotel. The Trump Trump Hotel. The Trump Organization is exploring a sale of its Washington Hotel, which has drawn criticism and lawsuits over potential conflicts of interest. The hotel could fetch more than $520 million dollars according to a person familiar with the effort who asked not to be named because the matter is private. This according to Bloomberg's Jillian Tan and Patrick Clark. They're going to sell it? Well, that shows a lot of confidence with the president in terms of whether he thinks he's going to get reelected or not. Because at this point, right, why even look into the sale of something that if you were to theoretically lose next year, right, he's going to go back to running his business. So the timing is quite interesting and it either uh signals confidence or potentially something else don't you think though (laughs) under a warren presidency that the trump hotel would lose a ton of business because it would just be anathema so this might be trying to sell high to cut your losses in case he doesn't win yeah no i mean well well i will say so if you you look at the president's properties in florida part of the reason that an analyst said that they're losing money is because negative association with the things that donald trump has said as president so potentially if he weren't president and weren't saying and doing some of those policies perhaps the properties wouldn't be losing so much money yeah but the trump hotel's in dc and the only reason why it's doing well well i was just i mean also the you know the trump hotel and those concerns over foreign dignitaries going there, you know, emoluments issues that have been raised in numerous lawsuits, those are still hanging out there. And, you know, the it, the Trump organization has been successful so far, but there's a lot of political heat from coming from a lot of different directions right now. S- selling the hotel perhaps could lessen that. You know, I've, I, I, I don't... I've always liked Cafe Milano. I think Trump Hotel is interesting, but to get a really good Italian meal in this town, you got to go to Milano. Uh, switching gears, Ahmad, Ahmad, I can I can never say this, emoluments clause. Speaking of which, uh, one of the congressmen who's been all over that issue, Congressman John Garamendi, he's going to check in with us on Monday. Be sure to look out for that interview. Impeachment, folks. Impeachment, impeachment. Uh, you really can't. 
look away. Tomorrow there's going to be another hearing, Francesca. What can you tell us about the latest on the impeachment inquiry versus the Department of Justice now reportedly opening up an investigation into the origins of the investigation of 2016? Did I get that right? Yeah, it's ramping up is what I would say about that. And uh, I do think to the point that you're making about the monuments clause in the hotel as well, that's, that is something that's also ramping up now as a result of the Doral G7 situation because the president already got the promotion from it, regardless of whether or not he had it there. And that is what a court case is now going to argue. And so on several fronts, from the White House front, from the president's personal legal front, from his business front, he's now under intense fire. So the White House is now looking at setting up a war room for him. That's something Steve we've Bannon. that we've something they've heard. No, not Steve Bannon necessarily. It's something we've heard they've been thinking about doing for a long time. But now they're looking at Tony Sag to potentially be a spokesperson for that. The Treasury. Pam Bondi. Yes, he wrote. He left Treasury earlier Tony, this year. Tony Sag. He was yeah. the guy that did all the comms for the tax uh, for the tax plan. That's he right. He left Treasury. He was replaced by Monica Crowley. Go ahead. Yes. So left. Went back to New York. They want to bring him back. Jared Kushner is someone who very much like wants to see him back in the White House. So just when you think someone's left this storyline, guess what? They can come back in season five. He's <laughs> someone they're looking at. Pam Bondi, too. Pam Bondi. Okay. Uh, Ryan, in terms of impeachment, what ha I mean, and, and now they're investigating into the, the investigation of 2016. I mean, it, it feels like this was an effort in part to, to equalize some of the the back and forth by the Department of Justice now investigating Democrats. It, is it an equalizing effort? No, there's two possibilities here. And one is that they intend to, at some point, actually drop a criminal charge. And it could be on a really minor thing. You know, there's a lot of ways to go wrong. Recall that the FBI uh, folks who got in trouble over this, it was for like talking to the press, like out of turn. You know, that. There's some very small ball things that you can do that nonetheless are, are technically crimes. And if, if they choose to prosecute them, they can prosecute them and because you're not supposed to do them. So um, something like that could happen as a way to um, sort of change a storyline, to raise questions about how this began, um, as a way to signal that, uh, you know, the, that there is something untoward about all of this. It's also possible that just saying that you're doing a criminal investigation may be the entire play. Um, it does give them some more powers for uh, their investigatory powers as they're looking into it, and that may be helpful, but it may also be that this entire thing is just sort of an ongoing effort to have something else to talk about, and it never amounts to much. Philip Reeker. That's the name we're going to hear a lot about tomorrow. Philip Reeker, Francesca Chambers, the Acting Assistant Secretary of State of European and Eurasian Affairs. He's going to be testifying behind closed doors, still behind closed doors, tomorrow. I mean, really all we get from these hearings is the name of who is testifying, whom is te who is testifying, and that's really it. I mean, we don't really get more. So Unless their 15-page opening statement leaks to the press. <laughs> and by the way, if you have an opening statement, <laughs> I have an email address if you'd like oh, to send wow. it to me. So do I. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just have to say. But in terms, of, in terms of the narrative, in terms of constructing this, have Democrats said whether or not they are going to um, release a, a report? Are they going to release findings? Or I guess it would just be articles of impeachment? Do we know even the end point, right. I guess? We don't even know where this train's going. 
Well, it does sound like Democrats could release a, a report that they would potentially call bipartisan, but Republicans are saying it would be the Democratic report, and then they might release their own report with their version of, of things. So we'll have to see how that all goes. And we do have an expectation that some of these transcripts we would end up seeing. But the argument currently is that this information is classified, and that is why the Intelligence Committee is specifically doing these interviews and why we can't see the information now and it can't be in public so it will be interesting to see at what point they then turn around and claim guess what it's not classified now and you can have all the information uh even though this was the argument that we used from the beginning as to why the white house and why all these republicans who stormed the skiff this week couldn't be involved in this uh but now this information is somehow not classified and the person who could declassify that information would be the president so if they at some point put out a, a, you know, partially blacked out transcript uh, and the president, it would be sort of weird for him to say, well, you're not putting everything out there because he could simply declassify it himself. All right. Headline for, or just a new new press release from the from the office of the first lady, Melania Trump. First lady Melania Trump announces Halloween at the White House. On Monday, the White House will welcome tiny dragons, ghouls, ghosts, witches, and other fun, creepy, crawly costumes as the Trump administration celebrates its third Halloween at the White House. So there will be that 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 Halloween at the White House. And meanwhile, my good friend Nancy Lyons just sent me a link to where I can get a baby shark hat. Or I'm sorry, a daddy shark hat online for, for this weekend. Arrives in two days. Panel stays. Ryan Teague, Beckwith, Francesca Chambers, Ben Bain. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. And he would remind all of us that our time is too short not to fight for what's good and what is true and what is best in America. That was former President Barack Obama who spoke earlier today and joined 4,000 people who gathered to say goodbye to the late Congressman Elijah Cummings, the Democrat from Maryland. Uh, notable, prominent politicians attended his memorial service at the new Psalmist Baptist Church in Baltimore. And meanwhile, there were hundreds of folks that were lined up to pay their respects. Hillary Clinton attended, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, former President Bill Clinton, and of course, former President Barack Obama. I'm looking at the list of lawmakers who were in attendance, including Republicans, Congressman Jim Jordan, Congressman Mark Meadows, two members of the Freedom Caucus who attended the ultra-conservative Freedom Caucus. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was there. John Lewis, Senator Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris. I mean, wow. A true, true uh, force of, of, of un, uh, unity attending uh, 
someone who was no doubt remembered by his, his colleagues on both sides of the aisle as a true profile in courage. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by two of my Bloomberg colleagues, Ryan Teague Beckwith and Benjamin Bain, and also joined by Francesca Chambers, White House Correspondent for McClatchy. Uh, Francesca, you've, you've covered so many lawmakers for so many years. Do you have any, how do you put in perspective the late Congressman Cummings? Well, today was, I think, a tough day for many of those lawmakers because they, he had the respect of, of folks on both sides of the aisle. And so it, it was very tough. And I think from a news perspective, by the way, it was a unique day because the president of the United States had an event in South Carolina elsewhere, this criminal justice reform event. And so while he's delivering remarks there, uh, that's just after this funeral's taking place, and you have former President Barack Obama, the Clintons, all giving remarks um, in juxtaposition to what Donald Trump was doing. And I think it was quite notable because Donald Trump was not at this funeral today. And he already had a pre-scheduled event in South Carolina. He's had this plan for a long time. But it still raised that point because he had a very contentious relationship with Representative Cummings, who he mentioned in his, his speech and how he thought that they would be able to work on prescription drugs together. But... Given these investigations of the president, no doubt they had a contentious relationship. Interesting, interesting, fascinating day. Another fascinating day here in the Beltway uh, as we cover all of these stories and keep careful watch on them. Great perspective there, Francesca Chambers, White House correspondent for McClatchy. Okay, we're going to do things a little bit differently today because it's Friday and I want to do coming up uh, a, a, a segment devoted to who said it, Elizabeth Warren or Donald Trump. Ryan Sieg Beckwith has this great piece out on Bloomberg.com. It's a quiz of sorts, and he does these great pieces, but they're, they're smart because it, it captures the policy and who they're trying to appeal to and, and whatnot. So I want to do that coming up. But So right now we're going to do what's on your radar. It's a bit of a slower news day. So I'll start with you, Ben Bain, where I bumped into you up on Capitol Hill, where you were covering big tech this week and Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah had testified on Capitol Hill. What are you watching for on your radar as it relates to big tech regulations in the, in the week ahead? Well, I'm, I'm wondering how many more six-hour hearings uh, Facebook and some of these other companies are going to to have to go through, particularly if uh, – you know, if Democrats end up taking back the Senate or, you know, just as the, the presidential campaign heats up. I think big tech, uh, you know, one takeaway from this hearing, you know, that we were both paying attention to earlier this week is that big tech in a lot of ways in Washington has become kind of the big boogeyman now. And um, maybe it was Wall Street banks after the crisis um, and, and previously. But right now, I mean, it's it's really anything that Facebook is involved in, even if it's a cryptocurrency, which this hearing was ostensibly about, um, you know, kind of has a, has a way for everyone to kind of take their political shot. So over the next week or so, I'm kind of waiting to see what the fallout is from, from what was really kind of a, a show that, you know, went on for really the better part of a day. I think it was, it was like six plus hours. It wasn't even a was good done. show. I and mean, it, my gosh, they're <laughs> kind of boring, these people. Listen, let me ask you about this antitrust. We talk a lot about antitrust. And Cicilline, who's investigating all of this, Congressman Cicilline, Democrat from New York, Italian, I guess. Um, and do we know about where the antitrust investigation into big tech stands? I, don't, I mean, I think this is all kind of on a, moving on a lot of fronts. So that's a, you know, there's there's a state level. There's a, you know, there, there's there's federal questions here. Um, you know, we, we, we don't know. I, I think, you know, what 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 has happened is that over the past 
let's say, decade, um, a lot of these companies really became incredibly powerful in many aspects of people's lives. And really, it took uh, kind of the 2016 election and fallout since then for everyone to kind of look up and be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that this company was doing that or this company was doing this. So I don't think we know uh, ultimately where the regulation, the big, you know, the, the big tech uh, antitrust issues are going to, how they're going to be resolved. But it's definitely, you know, something that has become as much a political issue as a legal one at this point. Absolutely. Good, good stuff. Good stuff. Ben Bain and Ben Brody and the whole team, Naomi Nix, they've been doing ex-era fryer. They've been doing excellent reporting on all of this uh, policy, big tech regulatory hurdles. Francesca, what's on your radar? I'm still watching this situation with Mick Mulvaney and the chief. Oh. I, I am. No, good. the Why? chief of staff situation. Okay. So he's on the plane today with President Trump, right? He is from South Carolina, so that would make sense. The president's in South Carolina. <coughs> I'm not hearing that he's in any danger of getting fired or, I'm not or hearing leaving. That either. I'm still not hearing I'm still not hearing that whatsoever. Referring to what we were talking about in an early, earlier segment about this impeachment war room, Lindsey Graham has, has been very clear about saying they need a better messaging strategy, but that's not a direct reflection of some scenario where Mick Mulvaney would get fired or would no longer be chief of staff. So I, I honestly wonder, though, if he did decide to leave, who would even take that job? Right. Who would even... there's always someone? Well, no, no. Realistically, they some some folks had been talking about uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. I think he loves his job. And also China trade talks are still still going, yeah. g- still going on. So you can't take him out of that equation. I right think now. Secretary Mnuchin loves his job based on yeah. everyone I, you know, have gathered. I think that's a good point. I think Mick Mulvaney likes his job. I mean, loves I, his job. when I spoke with them a couple of months ago, now, I mean, he was thrilled to, to be doing it. He said the biggest difference between him and his previous and his predecessor is that he likes his job. He does love his job. He does not want to leave his job at all. So, you know, it is what it is. That's good. That's good stuff, Francesca, that that's on your radar. Right. what's on your radar? 2020? You know, if you say what's on your radar, though, it's supposed to be something that's I know. different. And I'm I, all I do is 2020 and Trump Ukraine lately. So okay. what's on my radar is uh, a really interesting piece that Time Magazine uh, had Ooh. this week about a, a, a thing at the American Petroleum Institute. where So these are oil and gas people getting together to talk about, you know, the usual stuff. Um, and all, their biggest concern was that Trump's Uh, efforts on their behalf had gone too far and were going to lead to a backlash and they weren't sure what to do about it Um, because I think that right now climate change is one of those things where because there's nothing happening in Washington we're not talking about it a lot but public opinion on this is changing the players the key players behind the scenes are looking around and saying like what the status quo is is not sustainable and something is going to have to give but they're not in agreement on what happens next. And we don't know when that would happen, whether whether Trump gets reelected or or a Democrat comes in and tries to do something big and whether the Republicans decide at that point to to you know work together with the Democratic president or whether to oppose it, whether to offer their own counter plan. You know, none of that is none of that is clear right now. So that going on and at the same time, more wildfires in California. And this is something that I think that because so many people who who work in Washington, who cover uh, things, live here on the East Coast, this is a big deal. They're cutting off people's power. Like, the state keeps catching fire. Like, this is the kind of thing that makes people say, 
climate change is here and it's happening now so and we need to do something about it. It's so interesting and it's also set up this interesting conversation within the Republican Party about do you deny that this is going on or do you say that this isn't happening or or do you say it is happening, but it's the private sector that is going to innovate our way out of this. And I don't think that entire conservative thought leaders are on the same page on that. Yeah, That's well, a fascinating Trump is story. holding it back a little bit because his line is that it's not happening. Well, yeah. So there's that. Uh, what's on my radar, just very quickly, I had to miss this event last night. I had a personal commitment. But uh, NBC News' uh, correspondent Kelly O'Donnell uh, was the first woman to receive the Career Achievement Award for Distinguished Reporting on Congress from the Radio and Television Correspondents Association. And when I tell you that Kelly O'Donnell is a class act, she is just the best. I mean, I, I look up to her. I know so many people who do. Um, but I, I just I was so disappointed that I had to miss this. But she gave an interview to uh, to Adweek. And she said something that really stuck with me that I've been really, really thinking about. And she said the question was, what advice or tips can you share? And she said, one bit of advice, actively practice your ability to separate your own opinions and emotions from the stories you cover. Developing the skills and instincts that result in fair-minded coverage takes thoughtful effort. And this is the key part, folks. This is what I love. Opinions and advocacy may be on trend at times, but it's not the foundation of what we do. Good for Kelly O. I'm grateful for the conversations that I've been able to share with her. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. It's Friday. The Nats are in the World Series. They're up to nothing in the series. Let's have a little fun. Let's have a little game of our own. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My colleague, Ben Bain, Bloomberg Financial Regulation reporters here, and my friend and colleague in the industry, Francesca Chambers, White House Correspondent from McClatchy, is also here. Ryan Teague Beckwith joins us. He's Bloomberg National Political Correspondent. Ryan, you've done it again. I, I'm a huge fan of these stories because they're smart and they're interactive, and they're on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com. The title of the piece is, Which Campaign Did It? Trump 2016 or Warren 2020? I'm sure both campaigns, when they saw this, bristled to be compared with the, uh, with the other. But here's the, the opening text of your piece. Elizabeth Warren could not be further from Donald Trump politically, but there are some key similarities between her campaign and the one he ran four years ago. They both have broken with conventional wisdom and struck a populist tone on issues like corruption and trade. So how did you develop this piece, Ryan? I mean, I've had this thesis for a while, and uh, a quiz just seemed like a fun way to do it because I can get a bunch of talking heads to come trot on stage and tell you this. But <laughs> the fun part about a quiz is that this is so much harder than you think it would be. It, it is. It is very hard. I took it. I'm not going to tell anybody what I got. Uh, but let's 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 put it to to Francesca and Ben. Okay, who did it? Trump 2016 or Warren 2020? Argued that experience in bankruptcy would help in the event of a recession. 
Donald Trump or Elizabeth Warren? Okay, Francesca just shot her head right up. Who do you think, Francesca? That was my ding, ding, ding. Yes. I believe that that was Elizabeth Warren, and it most likely came up in the context of her corporate work that she's done in the past. Okay, As Ben, what do you think? I got to think it was uh, Donald, then, can, then candidate Donald Trump. His bankrupt, you know, bankruptcies were, were a big issue during that campaign. Wow. Okay, so you're saying that because she was a lawyer or because she was a she, – she kind of was a professor in this, Francesca, that that would have been her. And then you're saying because he went bankrupt so many times, they would refute that, uh, that, that it was him. It was – Donald Trump. Uh, she has cited her experience with bankruptcy when promoting her health care bill and saying that that is a main reason why people go bankrupt and that she learned that studying bankruptcy. But during the 2016 campaign, Donald Trump said that in the event of a recession, he would renegotiate the U.S. debt because he has great experience doing that from his multiple bankruptcies. Okay, here's one. Ready? Who promised to provide health insurance for everybody? Direct quote, insurance for everybody, regardless of ability to pay. Trump or Warren? Donald Trump. Why do you say that? Because he said that. <laughs> I know he said that. He said that, and that's been a big issue since he came into the White House. Uh, Democrats keep throwing that back in his face. You said that there would be health care for all, and you've still not proposed uh, an alternative to Obamacare. Man, you convinced me, uh, Francesca. You've, you've sold me. Uh, I think Donald Trump, the candidate, said that. Survey says Donald Trump. Yeah. That's what he said to the Washington Post in an interview. I thought that was fa I mean, that is really fascinating. Here's one. Ready for this? Who promised to, quote, protect our LGBTQ citizens, end quote, from violence? Who promised that in a high-profile speech? Francesca? I do believe that that might have also been Donald Trump, but I, I'm not certain. I think it was Elizabeth Warren. Okay, it was? Survey says Donald Trump. I remember that. I covered this speech. In the Republican New National Hampshire. Convention. Oh, in the convention. He at the convention. The, the text of the speech said LGBT. At the, he made an, a, a change when he spoke it. He said LGBTQ. He, was, he very clearly enunciated that. Um, Warren has said that she will help yeah, protect said, yeah. LGBTQ plus uh, Americans, which is the slightly more woke term for that these days. And during the fight over, you mentioned this, I remember covering this as well, during the fight over North Carolina's bathroom bill, Trump said transgender people should, quote, use the bathroom they feel is appropriate, end quote. Uh, and he added that Caitlyn Jenner could use any bathroom she wants in Trump Tower. All right, last one, very quickly, who vowed to tax the rich to help the middle class that built the country? Trump or Warren? Ben, go first. Donald Trump. Francesca? This one's tough because Elizabeth Warren was the original you didn't build that. So Ooh. I'm not, <laughs> she was, that's where, I mean, she exactly. was the original one who said that. So I, I don't know. All right. So Ryan, it was Trump. It was Donald Trump. Uh, again, in an interview said that he had been talking with his rich friends and one of his rich friends <laughs> told him, you've got to tax the rich um, to help the middle class that built this country. I think it I was think a two-two tie. tie. Is there a tiebreaker? Tiebreaker. Tie uh, who, I know there's no tiebreaker. I apologize. We don't have time. I guess I'll have to come back. You'll have to, but we'll have to come back. I love doing this. This is so much fun. We need sound yeah. effects. We need sound effects, KO. <laughs> yeah, I need we that. We need Dang. like bells and whistles and balloons and some daddy shark hats. Go Nats. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio. Thanks, Rye, Francesca, and Ben. Such a fun show today. Uh, thanks for listening. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.